Hey guys, I'm here today with Nathan Seward. Nathan flies 767s for a living. He's done it for over a decade. He grew up in New Zealand and now he lives in Japan. He spends half of each month flying and half of each month coaching high performers, podcasting and traveling the world. He's traveled to over 25 countries in the past three years. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Callan. It's great to be here. It's great to have you, man. Nathan, please take a minute to fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us more about your current projects, your podcast, your mission in the world, and also about your recent decision to quit your day job, your flying career after so many years. Yeah, sure. I guess you covered most of who I am. The bit to fill in the gaps is to to go back. I grew up in New Zealand and in Christchurch, a very fun middle-class upbringing in New Zealand and just loved being a kid, loved growing up in New Zealand, lots of long, hot summers, friends, you know, catching up, staying out late, all that kind of thing, which was was awesome. And then I I had a bit of a change when I went to high school. I went from this really kind of fun community primary school to a high school that was a private school it was an all boys school and it was a lot tougher environment than i never been used to and that was when i i started to struggle i guess that was when my, my first challenges came i i had found it quite hard to make friends at high school i felt very lonely when i was 13 or 14 i started to realize that you know i was gay my, i started questioning my sexuality and and struggling with that and it just became a very very lonely often depressed time for me and I was a very happy fun child and then going into high school is where it kind of changed for me academically I didn't do that well so you know that's an important piece to my story is I feel like that's where things really changed for me I know a lot of guys will relate to that that lonely feeling from high school mm. but my my light at the end of the tunnel all the time was flying. I had this passion for aeroplanes, and I'd grown up around the airport. My mum is Canadian, so I spent a lot of time as a little boy flying back and forth to Canada, between Canada and New Zealand, so I spent a lot of time on aeroplanes at airports, and I was obsessed by it, like literally obsessed by it. I had all the books on flying and you know, spent every, every spare moment out at the airport when I was 10 years old. And so I knew once I left high school, that was going to be, be my thing. You know, I knew that was going to be my, my passion. So I really, really thrived once I was 17. I left high school. I went straight into flying school and then really found myself in that job. I can certainly relate to what you've said about feeling lonely and sometimes depressed even during high school years. And I'm sure most men can relate as well. My family was going through a very tough time financially back then. And on top of that, I had to deal with serious health issues. I remember that I would read for hours and play the piano as coping mechanisms. That was also the time when I started binge eating. So how about you? How did you cope during those difficult years with all that was going on? And how did your family and friends react when you told them about your sexual orientation? Yeah, so I realized when I was my first year in high school, I went to a Christian school, so we used to go to church three times a week. And I remember sitting in church one morning in the chapel and then just being fixated on a boy on the other side of the chapel and not being able to stop looking at him. It was not sexual or anything like that. At that time, I was too young, but I just remember that feeling of 
not, you know, staring at a boy and not being able to take my eyes off him. And then it wasn't for a few weeks later when I, I literally remember the moment I woke up in bed, opened my eyes and went, oh, shit, I think that means I'm gay. And the next thought immediately after was that was, I can never live that life. So it happened almost instantly. I realized I was gay, and I immediately realized that that is not a life I wanted to live. And so I was battling with that. You know, I was battling with that, and and other guys at school were dating girls, and I just had this secret. I had no desire to date girls at all. And I was really coming up with these plans in my head. You know, can I just be single for the rest of my life and just be happy with that? Can I find a girl that I could marry and maybe be happy with that? And it got to a point where I realized at 21 years old that if I wanted to really achieve the things in my life that I wanted to achieve, it would come from living an authentic life. And I knew to live an authentic life, I would have to confront my sexuality. So I didn't come out till I was 22. I imagine that feeling lonely and depressed in high school had to do with the fact that you weren't able to be authentic and talk openly about yourself and your feelings with your loved ones. I think so. Like I don't, I don't remember feeling that way. I just remember desperately hiding. And I remember, you know, I, I, I would do anything to not let anyone see that I was gay. I sort of became extra manly, extra masculine, never wanted to show that side of me. And so it was just a process of living in fear, I guess, living in fear of someone finding out because <laughs> at an all boys school in New Zealand, the worst thing you could be is gay. That's the, the, the constant slur is you're a homo, you're a faggot. That's how you put each other down. So for me, I just had this walked around with this constant fear that if anyone found out, you know, I could be hurt. And how did embracing your sexual orientation publicly impact your social life? It was tough, to be honest. Like, but my parents were fantastic. I told my mum straight away. I couldn't bring myself to tell my dad. So my mum told my dad, dad for me. And, you know, we went through a tumultuous period. We, we already weren't that close. So it took quite a few years before we could really talk about it or he could understand it. And now I'm 33 now, so that's 11 years ago. Now he's my biggest supporter. He, you know, I have a boyfriend that I love and he loves him as well. And, you know, so it's been a tremendous journey actually and one that I'm very grateful that he's been willing to go on with me. He had the choice to not do that and he chose probably the harder road, which was to, to change and learn and grow at quite a later stage in his life. In terms of me, the, the thing with being gay was, you know, I, I just really, I didn't want to be gay. I had, since I was a little boy, I had dreams of getting married to a woman and starting a family and, you know, living in a big house and buying a BMW. And <laughs> so for me, I was mourning the loss of that dream. I wasn't celebrating being gay. I was still battling with the fact that this is not someone I wanted to be. This is not a life I wanted to live. So it took a long time really probably until till I was in my late 20s, probably, you know, seven or eight years before I actually started to become comfortable with it. It sounds like a difficult journey. What kind of support did you have during this process of transformation and becoming? Probably not enough. I don't think I, I didn't reach out for support, but I it wasn't, you know, like the support in the gay community has been amazing the last probably five, six, seven years. but just around that time, it still felt like it was taboo and it didn't feel like there were a lot of people, especially in where I came from in New Zealand. It was just a, 
know, it's a pretty isolated place in a lot of ways. So it might be a little bit further behind other parts of the world. So not a lot of support. And I don't think I wanted support. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. I just wanted to deal with it myself, which is one of my faults. <laughs> so you've decided to make this journey on your own. Yeah, exactly. I know that your podcast has a very special mission to end male suicide in New Zealand. Is this mission related to your personal struggle with loneliness and depression? Yeah, it does. It, it all kind of relates. So my mission is to end male suicide in New Zealand in particular. I know it's a big problem in other parts of the world, but for me, it's to, to really work to combat that in New Zealand. And, you know, when you talk about a mission, there's, you know, I, I coach people around this finding mission and purpose. And the questions that really helped me figure out what my mission was were the questions like, what's the mission that brings you to tears? When you think about something in the world or an issue in the world or something that moves you, what's the one that really brings you to tears when you start talking about it? And secondly, what are you afraid that your mission might be? Now, that those two questions for me, one, whenever I start thinking about suicide in New Zealand, just as a background, New Zealand has the highest suicide rate in the OECD. The OECD is a collection of developed countries. And New Zealand has the highest rate in that group. It's like an epidemic. And so the thought for me to know that we have this beautiful country, a wealthy country, physically beautiful, wonderful people, you know, people that are loved around the world, well-traveled, and that there's this huge part of the population that doesn't want to live anymore, that wakes up one morning and goes, I'd rather end this now than stay living in New Zealand another day. For me, that breaks my heart. And as I say, like going through my teenage years, I was never suicidal, but, you know, just feeling that deep depression, I just, it's such an awful place to be. And it's that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of, it's not sadness, it's not unhappiness. It's that feeling of hopelessness. I feel terrible. I don't feel good. And it doesn't feel like it's going to get any better. I can't see, no matter who I talk to, no matter what happens, I don't see how it can get better that feeling of hopelessness just breaks my heart and knowing that through the right support and guidance and and care and love that absolutely you can help those people to turn their life around and that, that, that's what i've done with my own life so the mission for me is and it drives everything i do and i've only really sort of touched on this recently but knowing that that's my mission that drives my professional life now when i coach i want to coach men that have a similar mission or that are impacting men in New Zealand through their leadership roles. And then through the podcast, I have deep conversations with men. They're not necessarily famous or well-known men. They're men that I think are just fantastic examples of, of, you know, what it is to be a man. And then we sit down and we just have a really deep, intimate, personal conversation, really open. We don't hold back. Nothing's edited in the podcast. And we just talk about love and life and success and masculinity and challenges and depression and suicide. And the idea being that the guys listening to the podcast will get in, you know, a front row seat in a really personal open conversation between two men that maybe they don't get in their own lives. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that particularly men find it very difficult to open up about their struggles, about their issues, about their emotional 
challenges and so on. And the simple fact of hearing someone open up about all of this, about seeing a powerful example, about being able to witness how someone has managed to overcome some of these difficult moments in their lives. I think that alone is invaluable. And I always think of podcasting as being such an intimate experience because people usually listen to podcasts when they are in traffic maybe or when they are maybe jogging or at the gym or maybe even before going to sleep. Why not? So usually these are moments when you are alone and you have someone else's voice there with you. So I always thought about this as being such an such a powerful and intimate experience and yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of your show. And the thing is that you have such real life conversations. You actually have that courage to go to places where most hosts don't necessarily feel comfortable to go. So absolutely <laughs> keep up the good work, Nathan. It's it's really, really inspiring. Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And I, I have to say that the guests that come on the show are incredible in their willingness to be open. So, you know, one thing I really try and do is when I invite them on the show, I say, hey, you know, this is not just a, an ordinary show. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable and ask you some deep questions. And so please come on with that, knowing that context. And everybody that comes on generally is incredibly open. And I know the listeners really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, Nathan, you recently made the decision that will absolutely change your life. You've decided to leave your flying career. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So if I go back, you know, like to even before high school, even as a kid, I just have always had this really deep, deep empathy and compassion for other people and other people's suffering. And as I've been through my own experience, that that's amplified more and more. And I've just always felt this calling, this desire, whatever intuition inside of me to help people, to listen to people, to have a conversation, to not shy away from the difficult questions and really be there and empathize and support people. When I went into, you know, when I left high school, like I said, flying was my passion and I knew that's all I wanted to do. But in the background, I also had this feeling of wanting to help people that I knew, you know, I'd put on the back burner while my flying career was going on, but I, it was still there burning inside of me. And so I've had an incredible career flying, like being a pilot is one of the most fun jobs. Like I feel like a little boy still when I fly the airplane. I've traveled all over the world. Financially, it's been very good. All my best friends have come from flying. But as I get to this stage in life, a little bit further on now, I've been flying full time pretty much for 15 years in some capacity. And that desire to help people and to give back and to connect with that mission I just shared with you just became stronger and stronger and stronger to the point that when I was flying and sitting in the airplane on a eight hour flight, I was feeling dissatisfied. I wanted to be doing more. And so I made the decision to end my flying career. So I'm pretty much at the peak of my flying career. It makes no sense to leave at this point. <laughs> this is just when the, the, the real good money comes in. This is, you know, this is when you're starting to become quite senior in the role and, I'm leaving kind of at the peak. This is what you've worked for. This is everything I've worked for, yeah. And that's how a lot of people see it. Personally, I don't see it that way. I, As I say, I've loved my career. I've loved every second of it. There's nothing I regret. I still love it. And 
now I'd like to move on to something else. So I put it on the shelf with incredibly fond memories and a huge amount of gratitude for what it's given me. And now I want to transition to a life that's more of purpose. You come from a very different place than most people I've worked with uh, around this problem. Usually people decide to quit their jobs after feeling they've had enough or after being burnt out. And usually their biggest fear is uncertainty. And they have all these doubts creeping in from people surrounding them. You, however, you want to create this change so that you can live your message and purpose. And this is inspiring indeed. Still, I have to ask, how do you handle doubts and negativity coming from the people surrounding you? Yeah, the the negative vibes haven't really felt any. I've had nothing but tremendous support. I think when people see someone making a bold move like this, there's a certain level of, what's the word, people look up to that and they, they are excited by it. It lights off something in the, you know, it's that dream that everybody has, give up your career and go and do something you love, right? Yet. 90% of people never make that move because of what you said, security, comfort, I've got to pay the mortgage, I need a regular income, I'm not good at anything, what would I do, how would it work? And that need for certainty keeps them stuck. So I've been lucky that I have a very strong sense of what I want to do, I guess, in terms of I've always known I wanted to fly airplanes and I've always known that I wanted to help people and make a difference. It's a good starting point. But I've also done a lot of work. I've done a lot of personal development work. I've done a lot of work on myself. I meditate every day for 45 minutes for the last few years. So I'm very in touch with myself. And I think that's what you have to do. A question that I would offer your audience that moved me to take action, because I've talked about this for a few years, but what caused me to take action now? Someone asked me in the last... If you think about in the last five minutes of your life, what will you be thinking about? Now, we don't talk about death, right? No one wants to talk about death. You bring up death or your own mortality and people, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. But there's so much richness in there. It's the one thing we all have in common. And it's the one thing we never talk about. And we're sheltered from it, certainly in the Western world. But the reality is we're all going to die. We all have that in common. It may be tomorrow, hopefully not or it may be 50 years, but there will be a moment in your life where there is a final five minutes to reconcile everything that you've done. Now, in that five minutes, will you be thinking about, i got to pay the mortgage? Will you be thinking about, oh, I wish I could lose another five kilos, I feel fat? (laughs) Will you be thinking about how to make a million dollars? Probably not, Probably not, yeah. Probably not. And what came up for me when I thought, man, in that last five minutes, what will I be thinking about? And it was, have I made an impact? Did I have the courage and the balls to give my gift? Even when it was hard, did I take the risk, keep figuring out what my purpose is and what my greatest contribution is to the world? Did I do that? Or did I just play it safe? And the thought of playing it safe for me was far more scary than the thought of, any leap or any uncertainty that might come from leaving a career. And so that's the conversation I had. And that's the thought process I had where I was like, well, first of all, I went, fuck, you know, that means I'm going to have to make a decision. <laughs> yeah. And then I made the decision that I, and I probably would have gone another two, three, four years flying and kind of been half in half out. Hmm. The crazy thing is when, when I made that decision, everything starts coming from there. 
all these opportunities, all these business opportunities, people that were inspired. I made a video and put it on Facebook just explaining, you know, what I was doing. It just got like three and a half thousand views and it sparked something off in people. You you even mentioned it to me in your email. Yeah. So that's the crazy thing. Everything, all the opportunities, when you say, I don't know what to do, I have this uncertainty, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do this? What am I going to do that? I don't know. Try something. Find an inkling and take massive action in that direction. That's where it comes from. When you do the scary part, when you do it in spite of your fear, that's when the opportunities start coming. Absolutely. It's quite a different place to, to come from, to show up in the world than most people do. But I think it's, it's, well, it's well worth it. Absolutely. All right. For sure. There's a video doing the rounds at the moment of Will Smith. I don't know if you've seen it talking about skydiving. No. It's a brilliant video. And he's saying like, the crazy thing about skydiving is, you know, when someone says, hey, let's skydive, you go, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. And you book in a skydive. And then you turn up on the day at the airfield and then you go, oh, man, <laughs> what, what have I done? And then you're going through the training and they're telling you, do this, hold on to this. When the canopy comes out, you know, do this. And you're starting, yeah, your palms are sweaty. And then you're in the airplane and it takes like 20 minutes for the airplane to whir up to altitude. And you're sitting there going, what the hell have I done? <laughs> and they open the door and it's noisy and the wind's coming in. You're sitting on the edge of the door looking down at your legs dangling over with the earth below you, barely visible. That's the, the moment when you have the most fear. That's when you're just at the peak level of fear. But the crazy thing is, that's when you're the safest. Everybody says once you leap and you dive and you start going into the actual skydive, all the fear goes and you just love it because you're in it, right? You're doing it. You've already, you can't turn back. But that's the point where it's most dangerous. Hmm. And it's the same thing in life. For me, sitting there waiting in my job, wondering, should I take the risk? Should I jump? Should I try and find something that I'm more passionate about? That's where all the fear was. Then the moment I made the decision and, and said, hey, I'm doing this. Like, let's go burn the boats we're doing this there's no turning back all the fear disappeared yeah i mean i love this analogy and i think you're so right and i was thinking about these two different approaches one approach is to create a safe transition from your day job from your career to whatever it is that you want to pursue and the second way of doing it is burning your bridges and yeah, I want to emphasize that I know it's not for everyone. Not, not everyone can burn their bridges and turn their life upside down. But I think that if you spend too much time thinking about it, overthinking this process, chances are that you will never going to actually take the first step. Totally. Yeah, and I want to emphasize too, financially, I'm very well off. I'm well supported. I have money behind me. I've saved up over my career. So the risk is mitigated. The thing for me, the fear is giving up a career, giving up investment in a career, giving up all that currency, you know, that uh, career currency, more so than, say, a survival fear. Yeah. So it's both, right? It's like prepare, get yourself in a good position, but also <laughs> at some point you're going to have to jump and that's where the gold is. My point is that there has to be some sacrifice in there to get the opportunity, to get the lesson. Absolutely. And just like, listen, listen for the whispers. That's what I always tell people is start meditating, sit on your bed every morning for 10 minutes, close your eyes. And what's whispering to you? 
it doesn't have to be a shout. Like very rarely have I heard you know a story where someone said, "Oh, I knew." You know, I'd been 23 years in a corporate career. I was a vice president, but I knew I wanted to be a painter. So I just left and became a painter. No, there's none. It's not usually that clear, right? There's usually more of a, a whisper, an inkling, something that feels exciting, something that feels edgy. Hmm. What if I sold my house and just sold everything we own and we just started traveling? to different countries until, you know, indefinitely until something comes up. That feels exciting for some people. Good, do it. Put in a plan. By May next year, I'm going to be traveling the world. Absolutely. Announce it to the world and start working towards it, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Listen for the whispers. Absolutely. And I was thinking about the way Rich Litvin puts it. Dream bigger than you've ever dreamed before and then take the tiniest steps. After creating that powerful vision, you have to have a strategy. So it makes a lot of sense. As you said, you are financially stable, so it's not about survival. You're not risking that. And you actually, you had time to prepare for this. But the thing is that even in this situation, you still are in risk to get stuck in your head. And that's the part when you are, you should take action. You should simply jump. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Nathan, as we move to the second part of the show, I would love to ask you a few personal questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom that will help them on their journey. So are you ready for the fire round? Absolutely. Hit me. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So here's the first question. If you were to recommend one book that every man must read, what would it be and why? This one's personal to me. But I think it will affect every every man. And it's a book by Dr. Robert Glover called No More Mr. Nice Guy. I think, you know, I mentioned high school being a tough time for me and being sort of scared and, and walking around tiptoeing, you know, nervous to, to be hurt. And out of that, I really became a nice guy. I just learned that if I was the fun guy, if I made jokes, if I was nice to everybody, then I wouldn't get hurt, which is bullshit, right? But that, that's the reasoning, you know, it's like, if I can just be nice to everybody and keep a nice smile on my face and be the lovely, pleasant guy that everybody likes, then my world will stay safe and stable. I, I won't be in that place of getting hurt and feeling scared again. So Dr. Glover is the guru on the nice guy syndrome. And in that book, three pages in, everybody I've ever given it to has messaged me and rang me or whatever and gone oh my god i can't believe i think this book is written about me i think it's written literally about me (laughs) and just just a a little bit of context like he he says at the start of the book he says that the basic context that we come from is as men is when we're kids we're very sensitive to two things one abandonment if our mom or our parents walk away from us in the supermarket and we look around and we can't find them we start crying we're incredibly sensitive to abandonment. And that, that's our, our greatest fear is being alone, which we carry into adult life. Secondly is we think everything is about us. We're not smart enough as kids to realize that, oh, your mum walked off in the supermarket because you needed to go to aisle three to pick up the Pringles. We just go, where's mum? She's left me. What have I done? What did I do to deserve this? I mustn't be lovable. I must So we're sensitive to those two things, abandonment and then making it about us. And so at some point we feel that sense of abandonment. We take it on as us not being worthy and we forever go through life after that 
trying to avoid that situation and we think being nice and making sure everybody likes us and controlling everybody's opinion and perspective of us is the way to go about it. Mm. And Dr. Glover talks about that as the nice guy syndrome and he just systematically through the book just breaks it down and helps you work through it through a series of, of activities. And it's a, it's an incredibly insightful book and it'd be life changing for a lot of guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite books as well. Actually, I've talked about the nice guy syndrome quite a lot on this podcast. And right. yeah. And as you said, when I first started reading the book, I don't know if actually I needed to reach page three <laughs> to realize that, <laughs> that the guy like three sentences yeah, <laughs> the, the guy has been probably stalking me my whole life. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. It's amazing, right? Yeah, great, great read. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Nathan, if you had the chance to speak to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? It's an interesting question, seeing I've just kind of told you my, my life's sort yeah. of path. If I go back to 20, I'm, you know, I'm two or three years into an aviation career. I'm a flying instructor at that point. I'm super arrogant, young, thinking that I've made it and, you know, just <laughs> a cocky young pilot, but also with that deep fear of you know having my sexuality revealed. So I think I would just cliche answer, but I have to say it because I, I wouldn't change anything. Is that the first of all? I, I love how my life's played out, and it's that the lessons that I've learned through living this life is what allows me to be a, a great coach. But <laughs> if I was to go back and talk to him, I would really sit down and explain about sexuality what it means you can live a great life this is how stop worrying about what everyone thinks about you it's more important to be authentic and live an authentic life and here's how you can do it mm. yeah that's that's so deep and intimate i want to acknowledge you for sharing this nathan yeah thank you it's, it's interesting because you know when you start talking about being gay or you know, being homosexual bisexual or you know what sexuality I know a lot of straight guys, it's, it can be a bit of a weird topic. But the way I look at it is this, you know, it was a blessing for me that, you know, although it didn't happen until I was 22, it was a blessing for me that I had something like this that forced me to be authentic, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I yeah. think there's a lot of people going through the world, men in particular, that have never come out, whatever coming out is, that forget sexuality, yeah. that have never come out as being really sensitive and loving have never come out as you know being an artist have never come out as <laughs> liking a certain type of music well whatever it is there's trivial things but yeah i think there's a lot of men that need to go through that process of coming out and being the real them whether we're talking about sexuality or not absolutely so i look at it now as a blessing you know it's taken a while to get to that point but now i do look at it as a blessing it's really incredible. I mean, it's quite it's quite a transformation and it's really inspiring at the same time. Yeah. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you. Okay. And here's the final question. May I ask you to share a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you or he didn't know about being a man in today's world? I'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life. It's a really great question. Something I've been learning a lot about lately is that this, you know, masculine feminine polarity. And again, for me, and I feel I felt that I haven't wanted to acknowledge that feminine side of myself probably comes from that high school time of, you know, trying to be a man and trying to not show that I'm gay, but I'm very strong in my masculine presence. 
masculine is do, feminine is be. Hmm. That is, a masculine is about, you know, the masculine part of you is about success, being driven, making things happen, pushing, driving. The feminine side is about being. It's about being good enough in this moment. It's about surrender. It's about compassion, about empathy, about love, self-love. And my dad was very strong in his masculine in terms of just what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Why are you doing that? Why can't you do more? Is that enough? And so I have this really deep, innate drive in me that has got me a lot of success in my career, but that is a part of me that feels that it's unhealthy. And that part is where I'm not connected at all. Well, more so recently, but I haven't been so connected to that feminine side. And the feminine side says that you are good enough right now. As my coach, we were talking about Simon Crow. Simon's my coach. I love him to pieces. Simon said, the moment you wake up in bed in the morning, you're good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas for me, I wake up in the morning and I go, what do I have to do today to feel good enough? Hmm. So the piece of advice I would love to have got from my dad is the balance because hey doing is great i'm not demonizing you know doing it's as part of you know feeling it's, it's being successful and feeling fulfilled but i wish my dad said hey son you're good enough before you even do anything i love you and you're fine there's nothing you have to do just being you is enough and just being able to sit down and be without having to prove or show off or go dad look what i've done today <laughs> So true. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right. Nathan, before we say goodbye, share with us the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? So my baby at the moment is my my new coaching program. It's called the Hypersonic Effect. So it's a nod to my, my flying career. I wanted to bring I didn't want to leave my flying behind completely. I wanted to bring it into my my new life. It's quite an exclusive program. It's for I only work with a handful of people at any one time and it's for people that are really enthusiastic people that want to make a difference in the world, whatever that looks like. So those are my two requirements. I don't care how old you are. I just want to know, are you enthusiastic? Do you like to have fun? And are you looking to be a game changer? Are you looking to break the rules and make a difference? And what I do is a full six-month immersion program with you where we completely transform your life so that you can actually realize that purpose, realize that mission, and actually start crafting your legacy. It's a three-phase program. So phase one is the the transonic phase. That's when we we meet in person for a couple of days. We take a helicopter flight. We fly over the city, wherever we are, and we get that high-level view of your life. We literally go up above the earth and get that high-level perspective. It's really fun. It's so cool. Yeah, and then we do some coaching for the next few months following that in the second phase that's when we're starting to figure out what's the big leap that you want to take what's the big action the massive action what's the thing that you want to go all in on and and take a risk with so the next time we meet in phase two we meet again in person we skydive in that phase together because i love skydiving i love what what it represents and you know the fear and overcoming that is beautiful transformation and coaching and that so we literally take a big leap in the third phase, after we've been coaching again for another month, another few months together, we've been having a lot of deep conversations and working towards this. We meet again, and in that time, I put you in a fighter jet, and you go flying in a fighter jet. Wow. 
which is awesome. And that's the hypersonic phase. Wow. My firm belief is we've all got yeah. something inside of us, our zone of genius, something that we do better than anybody else in the world. And once I help you tap into that and find out what that is, our job becomes to strip away anything that now doesn't match to that. We say no to everything that doesn't match to that so that you're only operating in your zone of genius the majority of the time. The thing about a fighter jet is it doesn't carry 500 people. It doesn't fly for 13 hours. It just goes really fucking fast in one direction. <laughs> <laughs> so in that final meeting that we have, when I put you in the fighter jet after we've done some some one-on-one coaching in person, you represent that going really fast in one direction with that flight. So it's called the hypersonic effect. I love it. I love taking people through it. People love it. It's incredibly transformative. It's a six-month program, and you won't find anything about it on my website. It's just my invite only or referral, but you know, you can reach out to me if you like. My email is nathan at nathansiewood.com, or you can go to my website, nathansiewood.com, and read more about me and send me a, uh, an email through that. Wow, that's so cool, Nathan. I'm jealous of your clients. <laughs> it must be a really, really awesome experience and we should definitely talk about it. <laughs> because Absolutely. obviously yeah, I'm interested as well. <laughs> okay. Sure. okay, guys. So be sure to reach out to Nathan. Again, that's Nathan at NathanSeward.com, right? That's it. Yeah, the website, NathanSeward.com. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Nathan.Seward. All right. Well, listen to the podcast called the Nathan Seward Show. I just use my name for everything. Absolutely. Well, it's easier that way. And I will be sure to drop all the links in the show notes, guys. So Nathan, thanks again for joining us today. And I hope to have you again on the Men's Journey Today podcast in the future. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been honestly my absolute pleasure. I've, I've had a ball talking to you. So thank you. Love what you're doing here. Thank you. Absolutely. Guys, till next time. Take care.